Hello, my name is Aya Ikegame. I'm a research associate of the Okumeni Project. I am working on religious gurus and their religious institutions or monasteries in southern India. I am interested in the ways in which gurus act as a provider of social welfare and social justice, and how their religious institutions are becoming state like institutions or developmental enterprises. This might sound odd, but many monasteries in the state of Karnataka in South India run hundreds of educational institutions from nursery to universities. Some monasteries run private medical and engineering colleges, generate a very large profit. These profits go towards the running of free schools and free hospitals in rural areas where such welfare provision is not available. Religious institutions, such as monasteries, are vital for many citizens living in rural areas of India, since what the state provides is often inadequate or not easily accessible. Monasteries are active. Not only in education and health, but also in the field of social justice. For example, Dr. Shivamurti Shivacharya Swamiji, the guru of an influential Hindu monastery in central Karnataka, runs an informal arbitration court called the Nyaya Pita, which means the seat of justice. On every Monday morning, Hundreds of people gather in this informal arbitration court run by Shivamurti Shivacharya Swamiji. Many of the cases he arbitrates are disputes within a family. A widow wants to have share of her deceased husband's property. There are disputes over their father's land amongst brothers. A first wife demands maintenance from her husband. Who has started a relationship with a so called second wife, and so on. There are also cases of industrial disputes between mining companies and villages, and the disagreement over the treatment of temple lands, which are a common property within village. Many petitioners coming to this guru's court are very distressed. And some start crying during the hearings. Dispute over temple lands demonstrate how and why the informal court, such as Nyaya Pita, work in contemporary India. There are several cases related to temple land every week in the Nyaya Pita. In all of them, the persons who are entrusted to safeguard the land sold it without informing other villagers. In one village, they wanted to take the land back from the original trustee and give it to the monastery. They could form another trust as they have done in the past, but they prefer to transfer the land to the religious institution so that no one will touch it. The temple land should not belong to anybody, they say. Behind this apparently faithful attitude, There is an idea which is becoming increasingly popular in India that those who do not have family, such as gurus, 
who are mostly renouncers, people who gave up all the luxury of this material world, are more trustable than elected politicians who have family and relatives to support. Recent large-scale corruption scandals have reinforced this idea that politicians have to be corrupt in order to leave money for others, but that renouncers such as gurus are not because they don't have any kin to support. Mr. M.C. Raj, an internationally well-known activist and writer, represents another type of guru, born as a Dalit or former untouchable, the victims of discrimination in Hindu society. In his many writings, he has denounced all the established religions, not only mainstream Hinduism, but also Christianity and Buddhism. M.C. Raj instead claims that Dalits have always had their own religion and they should recover the sense of their own religiosity and an affirmative feeling of who they really are. He calls this recovered religion or spirituality Dalitology, the theology for Dalits and of Dalits. Apart from running a very successful NGO that operates many innovative developmental projects in rural Karnataka, M.C. Raj and his wife Jyoti have established a spiritual center called Bhumi Shakti, the power of earth, which they believe is a central deity of Dalit spirituality. Remarkably, this left-leaning and originally very secular-minded or even anti-religious activist is becoming a sort of guru himself. Dalit followers began calling them Apaji and Amaji, father and mother, and treated them as their gurus. Whenever MC Raj goes to visit his fellow Dalits in a village, they insist on washing his feet, a sign of relevance. He says he sometimes refuses to undergo this ritual, but sometimes he cannot refuse. Dalit villagers like to do this traditional ritual called Pada Puja at their guru's feet in the same way that caste Hindus do for more established gurus like Dr. Shivamurti Shivacharya Swamiji. I don't think MC Raj and Jyoti wanted to become guru-like religious leaders, but their Dalit followers want to make them gurus. It seems that there is a tension between the egalitarian ethos that MC Raj believes to be the essence of Dalit spirituality and the hierarchical relationship between disciples and the guru. This tension can be seen when a Dalit person greets MC Raj. The person would prostrate himself and touch Apaji's feet, just like many devotees do when they greet their gurus. But then he stands up and both of them raise their hands and say to each other, Jai Bim means victory to Ambedkar, the ultimate hero of modern Dalit struggle in India. Suddenly, they become cameras again.
I am interested in the ways in which villagers surrender some of their democratic rights, such as, for example, forming a trust or electing a representative or trustee amongst themselves, and the ways in which Dalit followers of MC Raj movement eagerly surrender themselves in front of him. The act of doing so might look purely devotional and irrational. But what they try to achieve by doing so is far from irrational. They are very conscious that what they want to realize is a fairer society and social justice. So, what they are doing is giving up certain democratic rights in order to achieve a more democratic society. I would like to argue that the people of South India. Is actively involving themselves in politics by constituting a transcendent focus of power and authority. They are exercising what one might call a post secular form of citizenship. What I'm proposing here that different forms of citizenship can be found outside of Euro America, and although very different, these can still be recognized. As forms of citizenship, what they do, constituting a sovereign for themselves in order to govern their own lives, is not so different from what Europeans do by entrusting the state to use exclusive force and to act as the only source and executor of the law. At the same time, the way in which religious leaders share sovereignty with the formal state. Is perhaps a quite unique Indian adaptation of the modern exercise of democracy. Orientalist normative discourses tend to dismiss political movements led by religious leaders as anti democratic, fanatical, and irrational. But detailed ethnographic inquiry might be able to provide different vocabularies. Not only to explain contemporary political activities outside of Euro America, but also to destabilize and question what we take for granted in the West as a form of democratic citizenship. The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.edu/itunesu.